Walking through the book of Acts here at the crossings, if you're not familiar with uh, the church or if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, that's great, okay? Acts is basically the story of the early church. So when we open up the book of Acts, we're reading about stuff that happened like 2,000 years ago where God took uh, some people that were ordinary and just like us and he did some amazing things with them. He, he got involved in their lives and they took control, took hold of this vision uh, of Jesus Christ to make the world a better place to teach people who God is, how he wants to have a relationship with them, and how he can make their lives better. And they went and, and, and just basically turned the world upside down. Now, you and I are standing here talking about this stuff because these people 2,000 years ago took this mission seriously, took this relationship with God seriously, took this call of King Jesus to go out and make disciples seriously. They took it serious, and we get to be beneficiaries of that and now we get to inherit that ministry and, and, and go and, and carry that out in the world ourselves. Guys, the, the point I'm trying to make here is when we open up the Bible and read about the church, we get to continue the story today that they started way back then. And let me give you, uh, anybody here want to have a good life? Anybody, anybody want a bad life? You just want your life to suck? Raise your hand. Okay, nobody, right? Everybody wants a great life. Let me give you some insight. If you want the best life you can have, it's connected to how close you are to God. Now, those of you that are in here, that have, you know that, amen? amen? Can you say that's true? Okay. If you want the best life possible, the way you can have the best life possible is to get close to the one who gave you life because he has the blueprints. He knows the design. He knows what your intended function was from the beginning. Anytime we act outside of that function that God designed for us, we call that sin. That's just acting outside of your design. What God wants us to know is the more we can uh, lean into him and learn from his wisdom and purge sin out of our lives as best we can. We can't do it totally, right? But as best we can live repentantly, we're going to have the richest, the fullest life on earth that we can have. And not only that, man, we get to share that with others too. You guys know it's, it's a good thing to be close to God, not just for you. It's good for everybody around you too. Because God is the source of good and he's the source of life. And when you get close to him, guess what you have to give to others? You have good and you have life. Right? It's good. You want to be close to him. Now, this group of people that we read about in, in Acts 2, okay, let me take you all the way back to the very beginning of Acts. They also believed that. They believed that they needed to be close to God in order to help others. But you want to know what? There weren't very many of them. Because uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, it's after Jesus had been crucified. It's after uh, all of that stuff had happened. He ended up coming back from the dead. He comes and spends 40 days with the early disciples and teaches them about the kingdom of God. When we get to Acts 2, Jesus has now, he's left, he's in heaven, uh, and he has instructed his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for something that's going to happen, right? Now, what happens at the beginning of Acts is crazy. It's one of the most important things in the Bible. It's where the church starts, right? Jesus said, uh, go to Jerusalem and wait to this group of people. They go there. Um, God does some crazy stuff. Like, there's this miracle that occurs, and I won't get into all the details of it, but a crowd gathers, and Peter takes this opportunity to share the gospel with this crowd that gathers in Acts 2. This group that was small, 
started at 120, right, grows in one day to over 3,000 because people realize they want to follow Jesus and they decide to give their life to him. What we're going to look at today is what this little group of 3,000 did, uh, what they were devoted to, because this is uh, what we're going to read in just a minute is a really good picture of a healthy church. Okay, you guys know what you get to be a part of when you're a part of a healthy church? You get to be a part of a family that is functioning the way God intends for it to function. Notice I did not say perfect. Anybody in here want to find a perfect church? Okay, keep, I mean, I, w- I would love that. I'm going to have that in heaven. I'm not going to have that here on earth. Because as long as I'm here on earth, the church is going to be imperfect and jacked up because it's full of people who are imperfect and jacked up, right? Um, that's just the way it's going to be. But I can find a healthy church. And when I find a healthy church, what a healthy church will do is give me opportunity to be healthy myself, okay? What do you do with opportunity? You can either take advantage of it or you can squander it. So the, the, the and we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go. Let me just read this, okay? I might actually have Mike read. We had 3,000 added to the church all at once. Here is a picture of a healthy church. Look at this in Acts 2. Go ahead, Mike. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay. So there's four things. When, when these 3,000 people become Christians, guys, that is where the church starts in Acts 2. Right after we see the beginning of the church in Acts 2, we see that they're devoted to these four things. These four things are super duper important, okay? And that's kind of what we're going to unpack today. Uh, But I want to key in on that word devoted. Uh, You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have the scriptures we're going to look at today printed there. It's also going to have some space for you to write down a thing or two, Um, And the first blank on your notes is this. Daily devotion is key to God working through me to change the world. Daily devotion is key to God working through me to change the world. Now that word devoted in Acts 2, in the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so sometimes we go back and look at the original language because... uh, there's not a one-to-one carryover from that language into our language, like English. So whenever we translate a word devoted, for instance, it loses some of what maybe it meant in Greek. So we go back and do word studies and look at that stuff. In this word, in particular, this word in Greek just means to be busily engaged with. So if you want to know what devotion means, like on a practical level, this is what the, the word means in the original language, to be busily engaged with. Uh, to to hold fast to, to continue and to persevere in. So what are some things, if if I'm devoted, just think through devotion, okay? It says to be devoted, I want to think through devotion. What are some things that I am devoted to? How many of you in here bathe? Regularly? Okay. You you bathe daily, even? Okay. Okay. that's something you are devoted to. 
okay? Why? Because you're busily engaged in that regularly. You're devoted to your personal hygiene, okay? Just think of it that way. How many of you eat? You eat, okay? Uh, how many of you eat daily, okay? Uh, you drink water, okay? You hide, okay, so you are devoted to uh, making sure you have nourishment, right? You're devoted to that. You give that attention daily. You're busily engaged. How many of you watch TV? You watch TV. You like Netflix, streaming. Uh, anybody watch Yellowstone? Okay. Yeah, what's, what's the big show that's out right now? Outer Banks? I had not even heard of that. I used to be cool. I'm not anymore. Um, I promise. What about, uh, what about social media? Does anybody in here check Facebook daily? Anybody? Okay, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Uh, you're devoted to it. Why? Because you're busily engaged with it regularly, right? Uh, you're, you're devoted to, anybody here devoted to sneakers? Okay. Air Jordans, you're in line, like when they're, okay, I see, okay, I know my demographics, right? I know, I know my people. Um, there's a percentage of you in here that are freaking devoted to sneakers. You sit around and research them, right? You, you read about them, like, I could care less. Do you see what I'm wearing? David Smith picked these out for me. Because he likes shoes and I don't care. And you guys kept making fun of me for going to Walmart and buying the dad shoes. You know how many memes people sent me? <laughs> like, you don't see the private messages I get. You guys have no idea. I need to just start keeping a running wall. Uh, what about hobbies like fishing, hunting? Like, do you, do you give your devotion? You, you guys see, there's all kinds of stuff. This little exercise, I want you to see. Number one, there are things you are devoted to. When I say devotion, uh, that may go over your head, but it shouldn't. Because there's tons of stuff that you're devoted to, number one. Number two, tons of, I, this isn't a blank, okay? But number two, tons of the stuff you're devoted to, you don't need. You give a lot of attention to stuff that is, like, honestly, it's just a waste of time. It's not going to amount to anything. And guys, I'm, I'm not talking down to you here, okay? I watch a lot of TV. Uh, I play video games. Like, it is a complete black hole waste of time. I realize that other than I get to unwind. Um, but honestly, I give that my devotion when I honestly should give it to something else sometimes. Often. But that's my choice. That's my personal choice. Uh, there are some things that are worth devotion. First and foremost is our relationship with God. Second uh, Chronicles sixteen nine says the art of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed them, to Him. Do you guys know the the Bible says that it, God is searching the whole earth for hearts that are fully committed to Him, guys? Because there's not very many. Do you guys realize there's not very many? When you get down to it. The percentage of people that are passionate and serious about their faith compared to those that are just going through the motions is that the, there's a chasm. There's not a whole lot of people that are really serious about this stuff. 
But God is looking for those people. And those are the world changers, man. Those are the ones that God comes into their life and says, let's get to work. And he, he does amazing things. And the things that they get to do. Because you realize when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we are not going to sit around and talk about the latest iPhone that came out in 2012. Oh, wasn't that such a good model? That was, we're not going to sit around talking about stuff like that in heaven. Oh, do you remember the politician and, and what he said and what they did on the news that day? We're not going to talk about that crap. Nobody cares. Like, is any of that eternal? We're going to talk about stuff that matters eternally in heaven. We're going to talk about the souls. And God, we're going to talk about the things that were done in the name of Jesus Christ in heaven. Because that matters eternally. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all this temporal waste of time. But guys, honestly, the stuff we devote ourselves to, what are you devoted to most in life? Is it something eternal? Or is it something that's just kind of a waste of time? Now, I look at my own life and my own allocation of time and energy in my own life, and I can tell you I am swinging and missing often on my personal devotion when it comes to comparing stuff that I should be devoted to, stuff that matters to the stuff that really doesn't matter that much. It is so easy to waste time. It's so easy to waste time. And I just want to encourage you guys. It was always the intention of Jesus to create a community of people that were really, really serious about following him. He did not come here and die on a cross to create a social club. He came here to create a world-changing force of people that are going to shake up the world because the world is broken and it needs help. Guys, we don't go out and, and try to reach people for Jesus for any other reason than everywhere Jesus is, it's better. Amen? Amen. We're not going and sharing Jesus with people to put them in prison. We're going to let them out of prison. You get to proclaim freedom for the captives when you're working for the king. That matters, man. That's the kind of stuff they're still going to be talking about in heaven. But man, we can get caught up with some stuff that don't matter. But it was always Jesus' intention for you to be a world changer, for you to shake things up. In Titus 2.14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing what's right. That's Jesus' intention for you. He wants you to join his community of world changers, and he wants you to be passionate. He doesn't want you to sit back and be passive. He doesn't want you to sit back and watch others get out and do the work. You need to get busy and get to, get to work for the king and watch what Jesus is going to do in your life as you start walking with him. And this is something we do together. This was always his intention. It was to have a community of people that are devoted to kingdom things. It's a community. And if you're here today and you're anything less than devoted to the purpose that Jesus has in store for you, I want to try to persuade you today to be more devoted and to get the help you need. If I want God to work through me to bless others, number one, there's four things I really need to devote myself to based on what we learned from Acts 2, okay? 
The first thing is I must devote myself to the apostles' teachings. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts 2.42. This is the first thing that they are said to uh, be devoted to. Now, I want you to think of the apostles' teachings. Just think of that as the teachings of the Bible or God's teachings. Whenever it says apostles' teachings, um, who mentored the apostles? Jesus, right? Whenever they're sharing a teaching, guess whose teaching it is? They didn't come up with it, right? They're just sharing what they heard. After Jesus rose from the dead, he went and spent time with those boys, and it says he opened their minds to the scriptures, which for them would have been the Old Testament scriptures. They could come and do a Bible study from the Old Testament with somebody and lead somebody to Jesus Christ because all of it's connected. It's all one story. It's all one book, right? The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's all his story, the whole thing. So they go out and they're, they're, they're uh, learning this stuff. The apostles' teachings are God's teachings. We got that, okay. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, because the, the, the apostles had authority because Jesus gave them authority. It says, uh, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He is saying that my words to you are the words of God. Whenever the apostles came into a territory, God was sending them there to tell people about Jesus. They were coming as ambassadors. You want to know what you are? If you're an ambassador, you are somebody that is coming with the authority of the king. You are coming, speaking on behalf of the king. So when we send an ambassador to Russia, or to China or wherever, uh, with the stuff that's going on now. They're going and they're speaking on behalf of President Biden. They're speaking on behalf of the executor, right? It's the same for them. When they would go and share the word of God, when they would teach people about God, they were acting as ambassadors on behalf of the king, and their word had authority because of the one who was standing behind them, right? You guys ever watch that movie, The Bear? It's, it's, man, it's good. You haven't seen the bear? Man, y'all got to see the bear. Uh, it came out in like maybe 89, 90. It, it won like... You know they make recordings where you guys can watch stuff from before you were born, right? It's, it's, it's technology. You can even get it on a phone. Like, you guys realize that? Okay, man, y'all so, y'all so surprised that something was around in 1990. I just want to prove that there was. Uh, <coughs> the Bear is an awesome movie. It's, a, it's kind of a narrative documentary where they follow a little baby bear around and they tell a story. And, it, man, it's so good. But one of the parts in this movie, this bear, this little baby bear starts getting chased by a, a, a mountain lion. And this mountain lion is going to kill this baby. And there's this part where this mountain lion is, is going after this baby bear as it's crawling out on a limb, trying to get away from this mountain lion. And the mountain lion is getting closer and closer, and it's going to kill him. And then all of a sudden, the baby bear starts roaring, right? And the mountain lion doesn't care. It's just making a noise, like, you know, like baby bears. You like my baby bear impression? Um, it's crawling and crawling. And then all of a sudden, the thing gets really really frightened the mountain lion and it runs away and it's this shot like where they're they're zoomed in on the the baby bear doing its little wimpy roar but then it kind of pans out and what you don't see at first is the mama bear had come up behind that baby 
and the mama bear is roaring. And that mountain lion is getting out of there because that mama bear is going to tear it up if it sticks around. That's kind of like us. When we go into a territory, or for the apostles, when they would go into a territory and they spoke, they got their little wimpy voices, like their little bear crying, right? It doesn't matter. But you pan out, and who's behind them? There's authority there. It's the same for us. You're insecure about talking to people about Jesus. You're scared. What are they going to think about me? Are they going to reject me? It is scary, right? I'm not making fun of y'all. I do this too, right? I have these same thoughts. I hope this goes good, right? Everybody wants to be liked, right? It can be so easy to let your insecurity overshadow your commitment to carrying out this mission. Guys, just remember, when you go and you do your little wimpy roar, who's behind you? When you go and you speak on behalf of Jesus, guys, you are speaking with the authority of the king as long as you're telling the truth. You go and start telling lies, you're speaking on the authority of another king. We're not going to talk about him. But you're speaking with the authority of the king. you got the lion behind you. Um, and that's how these guys saw their words, right? They were going and sharing this stuff. Uh, biblical authors speak with God's authority. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The, the way the Bible presents itself is this is God's word, and it didn't come from any man. It came from God. That's, what, that's how the Bible talks about itself. Um, have any of you guys ever met somebody who claimed they spoke on behalf of God? I used to live in San Francisco. And if you go downtown in any major metropolitan area, you're going to find a lot of people on the street that will come and tell you they're speaking on behalf of God. Mental illness, right? Uh, but you'll find a whole lot of people that will come. Now, if somebody comes and says, hey, I got a message from God for you, are you going to listen to them? Okay? Probably not. I'm not anyway. I'm going to be skeptical. But if somebody comes and says, I got a message from God from you, and then they raise somebody up from the dead, are you going to listen to them? I am. Okay? Why? Because they demonstrated authority. That's what is up with biblical authors. People wonder sometimes, uh, why do people believe that these guys in the, who wrote the Bible say, you know, how, how can they believe that's the word of God? Well, first of all, uh, if they said they were speaking on behalf of God, people didn't just believe them. If you wrote a book in the Bible, there's 42 authors in the Bible. Every single one of them that wrote a, a, any book in the Bible either uh, could predict the future with 100% accuracy or they could do miracles like raise people from the dead, make deaf people hear, and make blind people see. All of them. So if somebody comes and says, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of God, and then demonstrates the authority of God, you need to listen to that person. You need to listen to them. And that's what the biblical authors are. Whenever we say we're committed to the apostles' teaching, guys, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. The authoritative word of God. So for our practice and our doctrine and our belief, if I can't take it back and point to it in the Bible, I don't want it. 
If I don't have the authority to, to, to say, hey, if, okay, I don't, I don't need it. I want to have a biblical justification for our practice and for my belief. If I can't justify it biblically, I'm not going to do it. If I go to a church, guys, did you realize there are churches? I'm not just trying to be critical, okay? I am trying to educate you. There are churches that do not line up with what they teach, like with the apostles. There are churches in Collinsville that teach the opposite of the apostles on some things. Did you guys realize that? But you cease to be a church of Jesus Christ when you do that. That is my firm conviction. If you start teaching stuff that is the opposite of the Bible, you cease to be a church of Jesus Christ. You become something else. You become something you made up. Okay? It is so important that we take everything back to the Bible. When we say to be devoted to the Bible, right? Let me just, are you personally devoted to learning the apostles' teachings? Are you personally devoted to learning the teachings of Jesus Christ? Does this get uh, your daily attention? Do you give some attention to this regularly? And we don't even have to be legalistic about the daily stuff, guys. The daily is not in the text, okay? What is in the text is devoted, busily engaged with. The word daily, I added. So you don't have, we're not, we're not going to be Nazis, like, do you read your Bible every single day? No. Let me just throw this out. Do you read your Bible most days a week? I would encourage you to. Shoot for that. Most days a week, four days a week. Get into the scriptures, 15 to 30 minutes. Read it and pray to God after you read and meditate for a while. Pray to God to help you apply it, to help you understand it rightly and apply it. Start practicing that most days a week, guys. For, for people that do that little practice, statistically, and they've done study after study on this, statistically, there is a huge difference in the lives, the quality of lives of the people who practice Bible-like devotion most days a week and those who don't. Huge difference. Even between uh, people that, they both say they're Christians, right? Huge difference. Huge difference. It, their lives are better. Guys, make, make, that a, make that a priority for you. And remember, when you open the Bible, guys, you are opening the Word of God. It is authoritative. Why do we get up here and, and teach from the Bible every Sunday? Because it's the Word of God. It's authoritative. I get up here and share, guys, not because I can get up here and tell you stuff, and it doesn't matter what I say. It really does not matter what I say. But if it's what God says, it matters. If I'm repeating what God says, it has authority if you're repeating what God says, it has authority. Why? Because it's God. It's the basis for everything, man. Do you have that tool in your belt, man? If you're not personally devoted to this, I want to encourage you to. If you need help, you can get help here at the crossings. There are people that will help you with this, right? Uh, one of the things we are so passionate about here is, is uh, helping people that are just learning. We love that. That's why we have, we have so many new Christians here. Uh, we, every week, uh, are baptizing new believers. It is awesome. Um, this is one of four churches, by the way. Uh, we're going to be planting another one uh, later, uh, forming a team later this year and then uh, sending it out next year. All kinds of cool stuff happening. I can't remember what I was going to say. Let's go to number two. Uh, I had a point. If I want God to work through me to bless others, number two, 
I must devote myself to fellowship. I must devote myself to fellowship. And that's more than just gathering. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship in Acts 2.42. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Uh, that is a rich word in the original language. It means mutual sharing. Uh, in order to have fellowship, you have to have more than one person. And you have to have mutual participation. Otherwise, you do not have fellowship. If you have just one person, no fellowship. If you have two people and they get together in a room and one person is like open and vulnerable and talking about their life and the other person is saying, eh, I don't really want to share, that's not fellowship, okay? Uh, you can be, let me, let me just make this statement. You can be in a crowded, active, healthy church and miss fellowship. You can be in a crowded, active, healthy church and you can miss fellowship because of a lack of participation, which just means you don't show up, okay? So you don't come to church, you don't come to small groups, you don't come to discipleship groups, you just don't show up. You're just kind of flaky, right, when it comes to participation. If you're flaky and not around, you're not going to have fellowship. But did you know you can, you can be completely around? You can have perfect attendance. You can come to every single event. You can be part of the church and everybody can know your name. And you can still not have fellowship. And people may not even really know. Because of a lack of transparency and vulnerability. If you're so afraid to talk about your fears, if you are so afraid to talk about your sin, if you are so afraid uh, to talk about your insecurity or your failures or your struggle, if you're afraid of all that stuff, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. You want to know what you're really afraid of? You are afraid of rejection. That's what you're afraid of. When people come around and they plug into a church and they start going through the motions, and guys, this is a trap that Satan will wrap you up in. we got a lot of new Christians in here. You guys, when you're new Christians, you want, you want that positive affirmation. That is okay. okay? That, it's okay to want that. You need that. What is not okay is when you make that positive affirmation your God. And what I mean by that is you are willing to look good at the expense of being good. Okay? Uh, I'm going to present myself as a holy person or a righteous person, but we ain't going to talk about what I'm struggling with. We're just going to talk about how awesome I am. That's what I want to talk about. What's the topic of the day? How cool I am. Let's talk about how much of a struggler you are. I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about how cool I am. Right? That's shallow. But man, that is easy to do. 
And I tell you what, uh, you can get into a, a situation where you become a mover and shaker in a church as a young believer, and you can be getting all these pats on the back and all these people telling you what a good job you are, and you've got this addiction that you hadn't told nobody about. You know, for, for you may be struggling with porn, or you could be struggling with something else. You just hide it. Why? Because I don't tell anybody I'm doing bad. What, what if they don't love me anymore? Now, you won't say that. You won't just come out and say that. But guys, deep down, honestly, that is the, that is the issue a lot of the time. Now, I work with our counseling ministries. Uh, I have in the past quite a bit. Uh, I work with uh, Wounded Heart, which is victims of childhood sexual abuse. That is tough stuff when you get in and start uh, helping people deal with their issues. One of the things trauma causes, though, this could be emotional trauma, it could be sexual trauma, uh, it could be mental trauma. Um, one of the things trauma does, what it, by trauma I just mean you've been hurt. If you have been hurt, the natural tendency is to protect ourselves. If I let you get close to me, what can you do to me? You can hurt me. If I let you get close to me, then you see the real me. And it's one thing to be rejected by you when you're way over there, but if you get up real close and you see the real me and you reject me, man, that, that's a whole other level of hurt. And because I've been hurt, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this. I'll go to church. I'll let you get just close enough to pat me on the back. But I ain't going to let you get close enough to see my crap. We ain't, we ain't light. We ain't on that level. I'm going to let you get just close enough to ask me how I'm doing so I can tell you I'm fine. But we ain't going to talk about what happened over the weekend when I almost had a divorce because of the fight I got in. Like, we ain't going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this coworker that I'm talking to about Jesus. We're not going to talk about how my kids don't want to talk to me. We're going to talk about this person over here that got a problem. They need somebody to fix them. We're not going to talk about my, my mess, right? It's scary when you start opening yourself up because you can get hurt. You want to know what the price of love is? Pain. Who said it? The price of love is pain. You want to be a person that loves people? Guys, let me just let you in on a secret. You're going to get hurt bad in this life. And I'm telling you, somebody, I've been, my wife and I, we've been uh, working with churches for about 20 years. We have had a lot of people that we've poured into over time. We've, we've had a lot of people that we've studied the Bible with, people that we have mentored and discipled who have uh, not been okay. And you want to talk about when you pour into people and then you see them just wreck their lives and you, you are connected to them and you love them and it's like, it's like you're hurting when they're hurting themselves. Guys, you want to know what that makes you want to do the next time? It makes you want to not get close to that next person because what could they do? 
You want to know how unchristlike that is? That's one of the things Jesus, I mean, he never protected himself from pain. We talk about the God of love, never protected himself from pain. Can you think of a single time Jesus defended himself? He didn't a single time get defensive. Not a single time. People come and accuse him of stuff, and what would he do? He'd ask him a question about something else sometimes. He didn't do it. He didn't protect himself from pain. That's how you get close to people. You get close to people when you quit thinking about you and you start thinking about them. That's Christ-like. But man, what, what, what is a relationship killer is when you're thinking about you and not them. How can I protect me? How can I make me look good? How can I make me appear competent? How can it, man, quit. That's not right. That's unchristlike. You can be in a crowded, active, healthy church and miss fellowship because you refuse to engage because you're afraid of letting people get close to you because they may hurt or reject you. This is a killer, spiritually, guys. I want to encourage you, be introspective here. Are you engaged? Do you show up, number one? Do you come to church? Do you, are you engaged in small group? We have small groups here. If you've been coming to the crossings for a while, uh, you have heard us talk about small groups. Uh, I want to encourage you to engage. We talk every Sunday about how we are available to, if you have questions about God or want to connect to God, we want to study the Bible with you. We study the Bible with every single person that joins our church because we want to make sure every single person is taken care of. Um, that cost put out all the time. Are you going to take advantage? Uh, here's John's advice for healthy fellowship in the church. In 1 John, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. So here's how you have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. <clears throat> but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. John, the Apostle John, connects your being able to be close to others in fellowship. Uh, it's connected to your relationship with God. As we get closer to God together, we're naturally going to get closer to one another because we're moving the same direction, right? But if I'm living in sin and I'm claiming to have fellowship with God, but like I'm, I'm involved in something that I know is wrong, but I'm coming and living a double life, that's fake, right? He's saying that, that that's exactly what he's saying, is that that's not fellowship. That's a lie. You're claiming to walk in the light when really you don't. You're just fake. What he says you need to do if you're being fake is go tell somebody. Go confess. Go talk about it. You know, if you want to take it serious, go talk to somebody about it. That you know is a spiritual person that, you know, preferably, honestly, guys, if it's a leader. Like somebody that you consider one of your spiritual leaders. I'm not talking about me, okay? Um, just somebody in your life that, that you look up to, that is a mentor. Go talk to them and get some, get some godly advice. Uh, there's a synergy present where people are committed to the same purpose. When we are uh, walking close like passionate, guys, if we are passionate as a community about following Jesus, we're going to be close to one another. We're going to have fellowship with one another. 
But if any of us are faking it, the ones that are faking it are not going to have fellowship. Not really, okay? Don't do that. It's easy to do in a religious context, man, where you're wanting affirmation. Don't do that. Just ask, who are my closest friends and who are my closest relationships? In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What Paul is saying here is, he's not saying just totally disengage from the world. We know that because he talks all the time about reaching out and, and you know, engaging with people. What he's making the point here, though, is uh, our closest relationships, if we're disciples of Jesus, are going to be with other disciples. Because that's who shares your passion. Like, if I am really passionate about following Jesus, who, am I, who are my closest friends naturally? People that share that passion. That's true in my life. It would be so weird for me if I spent the majority of my time with my old friends. I still hang out with my old friends. Like, I got crazy friends, dude. Like, I got friends that are into all kinds of horrible stuff. I still have a relationship with them. They know where I stand. They know I'm not going to engage in that crap even though I used to. But I don't spend like the majority of my time with them. That would be weird, right? They're not like my best friends. We don't share the same stuff that would make us best friends. Like there's no way. They have fundamentally different views of the world than I do. But the people I'm closest to are the people that I'm on mission with. The people that I'm closest to in life are the people that I'm planting churches with at the crossings. I got a group of guys that I get together with on Wednesdays uh, them, and then outside of that network of the Wednesday meeting, I've got another kind of close circle of friends that I run pretty tight with. And we are all passionate about teaching people about Jesus and planting churches. Like, that's what we do. People know that's what we do. We're close. If I did not share that passion, we wouldn't be that close. It's just natural, right? If, if, if you haven't engaged here yet, guys, if you're saying that you're passionate about following Jesus Christ and you aren't, like, engaged here in relationships yet, uh, man, I want to encourage you to engage. Be de- like, make devoted, busily engaged with. Okay, they were busily engaged in Acts 2 with fellowship. It's, it's that important. Are you busily engaged with fellowship? Are you making this a priority? One of the things that we do here, uh, like I mentioned a second ago, is small groups. What our small group ministry is, is we have our big meeting here on Sunday mornings, but then we have smaller meetings uh, outside of our Sunday mornings because it's one thing for you guys to come here and look at the back of each other's heads. It's totally different for you to go sit around a table and eat together. It's one thing to listen to one guy up front talk. It's another thing to sit around in a circle and everybody talks. It's one thing to have one guy open his Bible and kind of walk you through. It's another thing for you guys to group get together and all of you open your Bibles and everybody kind of gets some input. Like there is something to that. Uh, We see this in in Acts 2. They met uh, daily in the temple courts. They had a big meeting, but then it also says that they met in homes quite a bit too. The spread of the early church, the majority of the spread of the early church in the first century happened because people were going from house to house. Like little small groups were going from house to house. And they would go to somebody's, somebody's house and there'd be like, Couple, you know, a couple of couples there that are believers and then maybe one that's not, and they would, they, would, they would teach them about Jesus. And that's how it spread. Like, it just spread around. It was a house church movement. House church is, is lost on a lot of us in the United States because the United States church is weird compared to the rest of the world. Um, 
honestly, the rest of the world gets relationships a lot better than we do in the United States because we go home and close our doors and put it on our earbuds and don't want anybody to talk to us. Just kind of a cultural thing. We need to be more connected. We need to be more connected. Our small groups, guys, um, are meant to be a place where you can be connected. Our small groups are a place where you can go in and people are going to know your name, they're going to get to know your story, and they're going to get to know you. You're not just going to be a number. You're not just going to be a statistic. You're, you're you, and you have a community around you that loves you and cares for you. That's what your small group is meant to be. We also do discipleship groups. Uh, discipleship groups here are um, just men meet with men, women meet with women. Discipleship groups are intense times of discipleship where you have a trained leader uh, that is getting to know you, uh, that is sharing stuff that's going to be specific for you. And the longer you're around, the better uh, leaders get to know you, um, the better that tends to be. Um, but you have to engage in order for that to be something that's a blessing to your life. If you come to a small group and you just want to talk about how awesome you are, you want to talk about your crap, guess what you're not going to do? Grow. But if you come to a small group and you're vulnerable about your struggles, you're vulnerable about your fears, you let people in, guys, that's how those transformative relationships work. You have to let people in. You have, to, you have to be willing to open up your heart. If you are closed off in your heart, uh, man, again, guys, just to reiterate, you can be part of a healthy, big church, but if your heart is closed off, it is not going to do you any good. You know, it's just not. It's not going to make a difference. You have to open your heart. Thirdly, if I want God to work through me to bless others, number three, I must devote myself to remembering Jesus. I must devote myself to remembering Jesus. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread in Acts 2. Now, I think this was table fellowship. Um, <clears throat> when it talks about the breaking of bread together, they're sharing a common meal, but one of the things they would often do as part of a common meal is take communion together uh, in the first century. Now, when we take communion today, we do it on Sundays usually, um, we, we pass the trays, right? It was for them more like sitting around a table just having a meal. And then they would take some time during their common meal to share the bread and the wine, um, to remember Jesus. So this was something that they probably practiced more than just on Sundays. We know they practiced it on Sundays because they got together and had a meal, but I think they practiced it more than on Sundays. I'm willing to bet after Jesus came back from the dead, anytime these apostles saw bread or wine, they probably were thinking about Jesus every single time. Uh, because I just don't think that, uh, I think that had an impact. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, uh, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so Paul here is explaining to this group of Christians in Corinth uh, the purpose of communion. And this was a group that hadn't been really taking communion very seriously. They had a group of people that were kind of taking it over and not sharing it. And anyway, it was just kind of a mess. Uh, he's saying, no, the point of communion is to get together and it's to think about Jesus. Um, there's something to be said for remembering the sacrifice of Jesus 
consistently and intentionally. He told us to do this. Okay, This is something that is worthy of my busy attention and engagement, my devotion. It's remembering what Jesus did for me. Jesus wanted us to do this weekly. We would say that's a devotion. Okay, that's something he wanted us to be devoted to. We see in the early church that is something the early church was devoted to. What kind of an effect does it have on your life when you get up in the morning and you remember that there is a God in heaven who created the world and who created you and he loves you and he has a purpose for you and he has a plan for you. If you get up and that's how you start your day, how's that going to affect your day? Okay, that's a purposeful day. Okay, that, that day can throw all kinds of junk at me. And it may not even be a good day, but at the end of it, I know it's going to be okay, right? Because I know who's in charge. That's a worldview. Um, but if I get up in the morning and I'm not really mindful that there's a God who loves me, maybe I'm mindful that there's a God, but I forget that he loves me. How's that going to affect me? Man, the great truth that Jesus wants you to get from communion is not just that there's a God, guys, but that God loves me. That's what he wants you to know. You are priceless. You were bought at a price. You were bought with his life. Jesus died on the cross to give you a chance at having a great life. And I say chance because, man, that's all it is. He gives you a chance. And it's a great one. But guess who he leaves the ball in the court of? Whether I'm going to take advantage of my chance or not. It's the same with all of this, man. God is not going to come into your life and take you over like a little robot and make you go start doing stuff. That's not how God works. What God will do is he will come alongside you and he will take you by the hand and he will walk with you. And not only that, he'll be whispering in your ear, go get some friends too. And this, this solo effort that you were trying is suddenly not a solo effort, right? And it was never God's intention for you to go through life solo. God wants to be close to you personally, intimately through the Holy Spirit. He wants to walk with you through the Holy Spirit. And not only that, that spirit is also walking with others, other people. God wants to get other people in your life, too, that are going to be a blessing to you. That was always his intention, man. That's the point of the church. That's the point of a lot of this is he wants to use you. He wants to help you have a great life. And then he wants to use you to help other people have a great life. Right. And man, it feels good when you know you're making a difference. But it comes through our being one and carrying out this purpose. In 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we give thanks for is a sharing in the blood, uh, in the blood sacrifice of Christ, isn't it? And the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ, isn't it? There is one loaf of bread. So we who are many are one body because we all share in that one loaf. Man, Jesus is saying, come on, 
We're going we're to get after this. We're going to start walking. We're going to get others to come with us, and we're all going to walk together, and I'm going to make you one. We are supernaturally. We're going to make you one. You're going to be one family out there walking and uh, blessing the world. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. Uh, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross. The, the juice represents his blood that was spilled. What Jesus wants us to do in our devotion here is he wants us to remember God made himself a man, came into the world, and died for me. He bled, his, he bled for me. That's how much he loves me. That's what Jesus wants you to remember. So there's a God, yes, but he loves me. That's what he wants you to think about. Let's, let's meditate on that for a minute. Uh, God, as we uh, take communion today, help us to remember that you are there and that you love us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If I want God to work through me to bless others, number four, I must devote myself to prayer. I must devote myself to prayer. This is another thing that it says the church in Acts 2 devoted themselves to. Here's Paul's advice about being devoted to prayer in Colossians 4. He says, never stop praying. Be ready for anything by praying and being thankful. That's all-encompassing, right? Be ready for anything by praying and being thankful. Also pray for us. Now, I want to point out here, here is what Paul asked people to pray for him. He said, please pray that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. Do you ever pray that? Do you pray that? Guys, I encourage you to pray that. Pray for God to give me an opportunity to tell people his message. I'm in prison for doing this. Guys, he was writing this from prison. He was in prison for telling people about Jesus, and he's writing letters from prison saying, hey, help, tell God to help me keep telling people about Jesus. He doesn't sound like very repentant to me, right? He wasn't when it came to that. So I'm going to keep on doing it. Man, they didn't know what to do with Paul. They'd come and say, Paul, we're going to kill you. And he'd say, to, live is, or to die is gain, right? I get to go be with Jesus. We're going to let you live. Well, to live is Christ. What are you going to do with a guy like that? Uh, you, can't, you can't win with that dude. Um, pray that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. I'm in prison for doing this, but, but, but pray that we can continue to tell people the secret truth that God has made known about Christ. Pray that I will say what is necessary to make this truth clear to everyone. This guy's in prison for telling people about Jesus, and he's writing letters asking for prayers for people to pray for him to keep telling people about Jesus. Who is he not thinking about? Himself. He's thinking about this lost world. That's his passion, guys. That is his passion. I'm telling you, man, I get frustrated when I encounter people that say they love Jesus, but they couldn't care less about lost people. I don't think that's a Christian. I'm serious. That is so unchristlike. If being a Christian means you're becoming like Jesus, if you're not sharing the passion that Jesus had for hurting and lost people, you are not becoming like Jesus. you got to have that passion. Guys, if you are lacking passion for hurting people, 
could be a one of two things. You may be one of those hurting people today. If you're here today, I'm not browbeating you, okay? If you're here today and you need help, we're here to help you. If you're here today and you want a relationship with God, guys, the door is wide open. God does not close it on, on anybody that's come and seeking a relationship with him. Bible says if you seek God with all your heart, you're going to find him. The Bible says if you seek truth, you're going to be led to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're seeking God or you're seeking truth, we want to help you. If you're here today and you've already made that commitment to follow Jesus and you're struggling, guys, we want to help correct that. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but you don't have a passion for lost people, I just got to tell you, man, as, as one of your spiritual leaders, something's wrong with your life. Something's wrong in your heart. If you're saying, I love Jesus, but I don't care about my lost neighbor, you need to go check your love for Jesus. Because if you really love him and are committed to him, you're going to share his passions. And he was passionate about lost people and people that need help. Man, he was looking for people who, whose hearts were open to that. I, we need to be too. If you don't pray for God to open the door for you to be able to share his message, if you're not in the habit of that, I want to encourage you to do that. This is a prayer that I have prayed for years. Why? Because I read about it right here. Not because I came up with it, right? It's because I read about it in the Bible. Like, oh, they do that? Oh, that's a good thing to pray. I started praying this right after I became a Christian. And, man, I've been blessed to be able to, to lead people to Christ, go back with a bunch of my old druggy friends and study the Bible with them and lead them to Christ. Like, God, it, it's been cool to see God answer this prayer. This is a prayer God wants to answer. But how many of us are praying it? Seriously. I want to encourage you if you don't have this passion in you. Man, one of the things that the world needs is it needs people who have been healed to not forget where they were. And if you don't have that passion today, you need to remember where God took you out of. Where would you be without Jesus? I'll tell you where I would be. I would be dead. I wouldn't even be here today. I would have OD'd by now because I was big into drugs, right? But God saved me from that. And he helped me be close to him. And now I have the privilege of turning around and telling other people about him. And it is a privilege. It's a privilege for me to get up here and be able to share from God's word with you. You're blessing me, right? This, this is something I get to do. It's not something I have to do. Do you guys know I don't get paid to do this? Like from this church? I don't take anything out of the collection plate that's put in here for a salary for me, right? This is a volunteer thing for me because I'm passionate about it. I love you guys and I love this church. And I want this church to do well because I'm passionate about it. I want you to share that passion because, because it's something that's originated with Jesus Christ. And man, if we can just be more like Jesus, we're going to make this world a better place. Amen? Amen? Let's be about being more like him. You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close. The, the last blank on your notes there is God will bless my devotion and use it to change the world. I'm sorry I missed that. God will bless my devotion and use it to change the world. Um, Acts 2 ends like this, guys. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. The reason that happened that way 
is because people adopted Jesus's passion and it became infused in that community. If you're here today and you're struggling with something, if, if you are not a Christian and you have questions about God, man, I want you to know we're glad you're here. And I want you to know you're in a safe place and I want you to know there is no such thing as a dumb question. If you have questions, I guarantee you there's people here who have had the same ones. And we have a lot of people who, uh, you know, weren't always believers. Myself, I was a skeptic for a long time. God did some stuff in my life that made me believe in him. Uh, but I didn't start there, okay? If that's where you're at and you don't even really know if this God thing is for real. If you don't know if the Bible can be trusted, man, that's okay. It's, come with your questions. I heard a wise man say one time, truth, if it is really truth, will stand up to the hardest questions. So you don't have to be afraid of questions. You got questions, bring it, okay? We would love to help you. If you are uh, wanting to place membership with the church, uh, indicate that on your card. If you uh, would like to check out small groups, indicate that on your card. If you need help with any of the life issues that I talked about, I mentioned to you we have ministries for people that struggle with childhood sexual addiction and trauma and all kinds of stuff. We've got a bunch of different ministries. You can read about them on that card. If you need help with anything, please let us know. You are in a safe place where nobody's going to look down on you. There are going to be people that want to connect with you and get to know your name and get to know your story and help you. Okay, You're not just going to be a faceless number here. You are going to be loved. And so I want to invite you to open your heart to that and to give, give God a chance today. Uh, if you want to connect in other ways, guys, there's going to be a bunch of people going out to lunch. There's people doing stuff throughout the week. We've got cross chats. We've got all kinds of stuff. I want to encourage you today, make a friend, okay? If somebody brought you here today, go hang out with them. Uh, if you're just visiting, if you just walked in off the street, go have lunch with somebody today. I'll bet you somebody will buy your lunch, depending on who they are. Uh, so, so good luck with that. Go, go hang out with somebody, right? Um, no pressure, guys. No pressure. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to finish it out today. God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for uh, all the awesome stuff we get to participate in. Um, man, we had a, a great week this past week. Um, and are looking forward to all the good things you're going to do in the future, God. We're planting churches. Uh, we're planting campus ministries. We're starting youth ministries. We're seeing people come to know you on a regular basis. And God, we just want to pray for you to continue to do your work. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.